from India's largest newsroom. I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast. Nitish Pal was on holiday in India in the early 1990s when he was told that Iraq had invaded Kuwait and he wouldn't be able to go back to his home there. After a year in India, he got the chance to move to Russia. He took it. After 5 years, he got an offer to move to Denmark, so he moved. After 15 years in Denmark, he took a chance in 2012 and moved to a country he'd been doing business with for years, Ukraine. I've always loved this country. This is a it's a fantastic free country. I really, you know, feel at home over here. And 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 so do a lot of Indians. It's a very welcoming country. Nitish became a Ukrainian citizen in 2019. He runs a seafood import company that has 29 employees. And when Russia invaded Ukraine in February, Nitish and his family left the country. But a few weeks later, Nitish returned. The lines for petrol had become longer. Food had become more scarce. There was repair work to be done at home after Russian bombing damaged the area. But Nitish says he's not leaving Ukraine again, no matter what. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has killed an estimated 3,000 people since February. Around 70 lakh or 7 million people have had to leave their homes. Despite worries that Russia could invade all of Ukraine in weeks, the war has been on for nearly four months now. Aided by Western nations, Ukraine continues to resist the invasion. Ukraine is now also on the path to join the European Union. The battle against Russia is now concentrated in eastern provinces. But there's no end in sight, given there's no clarity on what Russian President Vladimir Putin will settle for. But today's episode is about Nitish, who is representative of the spirit of Ukrainians in this time. The Times of India's Ketki Desai recently wrote a profile of Nitish, and she spoke to him about how his life had been upended by the war. She started by asking him what life was like in Ukraine before the war. Oh, fantastic life. what i focus my life on most is freedom so i base everything on on my freedom my love to race I, I, i'm a professional racer i was the ukrainian champion in 2017 uh, i've been on the podium since 2014 there's never been a race in ukraine which i didn't end up on the on the podium i race yeah. motorcycles uh, i'm the official bmw team of ukraine where were you when the war broke out and what were the next few days like for you I live in a little suburb outside Kyiv. It's like five kilometers from the outskirts of the center of Kyiv. We were affected the most because everybody came from the west. When they came in through Belarus, it was directly in our direction, and it, it was hard. We we didn't expect it. Everyone has been was you know have been warning me about the war coming and 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 you know we should be careful. But we were so sure that if Putin did come he would probably start in the east it would take a couple of weeks before we would be affected or something and we we refused to leave we didn't want to leave we wanted to stay in our home when we left it was i think on day 8 or 9 the we had russian soldiers 500 meters from our house and wow. the day after we left a bomb landed in my neighbor's house we were lucky 
I consider myself lucky that just our windows and doors got blown away. A little bit of, you know, patches of the ceiling fell down. That, that it wasn't as scary as other people's houses. Uh, two days after we left the house, my, my neighbors have, because we have CCTV all around our house, we've got cameras everywhere. Uh, three Russian snipers were in our garden. So I'm, I'm glad we weren't, we weren't at home because, I mean, I was at home with four of my five kids. I don't know what I would do. You can act brave, you can act tough. I own guns, but I wouldn't even think about taking them out if, if I, if, uh, you know, 10 Russian soldiers not in your front door. And we don't know what they would do because some of them were nice, some of them were bad. They've robbed people, they've raped people. They could take my family hostage and get me to, you know, I don't know, find money, open safes, uh, whatever. They could imagine anything, literally. Let's talk a little bit about your decision to not leave, as well as the journey to um, get your family to be able to leave. When we did leave, I arranged a convoy for my whole company. It was hell. I mean, we, it took us almost nine or 10 hours to drive 200 kilometers. They were like yeah. 50, 60 kilometer long uh, queues, you know, just mm. hundreds of cars just trying to leave the city. And, and you know, everybody was calm. Everybody was uh, nice. Everyone helped each other. But it took a long time. At eight o'clock in the evening, we reached a uh, city called Vinica. And, you know, we tried to find a place to sleep. We couldn't. So we ended up sleeping in the car. We have a, a Range Rover, which has a flat bed on the back. So my wife and the three kids and our dog slept in the back. And my eldest son and I, we just sat in the, in the passenger and driver's seat. And we spent the night in the car. We had a great life. And when you're leaving and you know that, you know, your thought is that you're never coming back. We, we thought we're never going to go back ever. So it's like, whatever you took with you is what you have, and that's it. The next morning, we woke up at 7. We woke up and just, you know, drove on till we got to about 200 kilometers uh, near the Romanian border. And, and my, my mother-in-law has some friends in, the, in, in Rotary. They've always helped, even in normal times, but now they were extra active. So we found a hotel. I rented a whole hotel, put everyone in. We, we didn't know where we were, what we were doing. Everything just stopped, you know. Their life, com lives completely stopped. I realized it's time to do something because I couldn't be sitting there with all these people in this hotel forever. We had uh, flyovers of, of jets in that area. We had they started bombing that area as well because Putin went crazy at that time. He decided to bomb the whole of Ukraine. So I convinced everyone uh, in my office to start moving. I sent my financial director to Canada because she's got two daughters living there, others to Spain, others to Poland, wherever they wanted to go. I mean, there's a certain point where you have to let people make their own decisions because you, you can take them to safety and, and they're all getting their salaries. So they were not without money. I, I never stopped paying my employees. Everyone gets their salaries on time. So then the hardest part was convincing my wife to leave because she didn't want to, you know, the kids didn't want to leave. But... I convinced them, I sent them to Turkey because I have a lot of friends there and it's also the safest place. If I sent them to Denmark, there would be a lot of pity, a lot of sorrow, a lot of you know people constantly talking about the war. So I sent them to a location where there was no one talking about the war just to get the kids' minds off this situation. 
After sending everyone with him to safety, Nitish says he felt he could return to Ukraine. And he was very happy to do that. And then I came back to Kyiv. Uh, I, had, I had the biggest smile on my face when I reached the borders of the, the outskirts of Kyiv uh, because I was home. I know everybody here. I know everything. I know people in this city. I, I went home. I looked at the house. Couldn't, it was impossible to stay there. There was still no electricity, no gas. So I, I moved into my office. I have a little, you know, a, a couch and, and a shower and a little kitchen. So I spent the next two weeks in the office. I had a few people who stayed behind and I wake up early, take a shower, get dressed. And when they arrived, they would see me in my office, like as if, you know, <laughs> you know, like a normal working day. And how do you work during this time? I try not to send my drivers out on long drives, especially towards the east. If, if it's a dangerous drive, I do it myself. If I want someone to take the risk, they have to be aware of the risk. Any of the older drives to the east, I did myself. These times you have to, you have to do everything. But it, it, was, it was really hard in the beginning. We, we were lucky that our warehouse wasn't hit by a bomb as well because my competitors, a couple of them were hit. And, and it's big losses we're talking about. I mean, you're talking tens of millions of dollars. I believe in God. and uh, God saved my business, <laughs> basically, yeah. What are the kinds of precautions one needs to take in order to be safe right now? Well, the biggest precaution to take is carry everything you, all your valuables with you all the time. Yeah. I mean, I've got all my documents, all my keys, uh, every single thing that's, of value in, hmm. in, in my bag. I carry this bag yeah. everywhere and, and it's got everything that's that's important. Not material things, it's about documents and you know keys or car keys or whatever. But if you hear the sirens, stay away from the windows, stay away from doors, find somewhere to, to just wait it out, that's all. And I always have a full tank of fuel. If I need, I know if I need to run, I just take my backpack and I'm in the car and I can be out of the city in, in, in less than an hour. Over the past few weeks, numerous world leaders have visited Kiev in solidarity with Ukraine. Nitish says life in Ukraine seems a bit like what it was before the war. A lot of people have come back the last month. Yeah. I mean, the city's full. We have traffic jams around now. They're moving more and more yeah. to the coast. Uh, People are very resilient. Ukrainians are very strong people. They're very strong-minded. I've already changed all the windows in my house. I'm fixing the doors. Next week, I get all the, the doors back in again. I would say in the West, they would wait the war out before they did anything. In the East of the world, we don't have that option. Even though there's a war still going on, and even though we might get bombed again, we still somehow try to pick up the pieces and rebuild faster than the West would. Restaurants have opened, actually. We supply a lot of restaurants and the orders are getting mm -hmm. coming in more and more. Supermarkets have always been working. All the yeah. supermarkets in Ukraine have done excellent jobs in supporting people. Uh, I've been through the 2014 crisis, crisis in, in Ukraine when, when Putin attacked the, the, the eastern Donbass regions and, and Lugansk. Yeah. Uh, things come back faster. People here spend, they don't save. And, and that's good for an economy. 
we are running right now at maybe 40% or 50% of our, of our turnover, what we normally did in a normal month. Yeah. But that's fantastic to think that we can even reach that level. Nitesh says Ukraine has benefited from the rest of the world refusing to ignore their plight. If nobody supported us, there would be no Ukraine, believe me. If, if yeah. this war was without the support of the world, there would be no Ukraine. It's been amazing how the world got together against this cause. It's, it's amazing. We're lucky. You have to thank the gods for being, you know, chosen to be protected. I mean, that's a, that's a big thing to be where the world gets together and unites against one person. That's never happened. You know, there, there are a lot of other reasons in this world where this should have also happened, but it never did. Nitesh says he's been speaking with friends in Russia and he does understand that they have their own constraints in opposing the war. But he just can't understand how they can buy into Russian state propaganda about Ukrainians being Nazis. Something that's been used to justify the invasion. This war is, an, this war is a special war because uh, the whole thing is based around one man, Putin. That's it. If he dies tomorrow morning, the war is over. They're suffering in Russia. I know a lot of people in Russia and I talk to them quite often. They're suffering. They're suffering under Putin. My friends who are against Putin cannot even say a word because the neighbors will call the cops and tell them, you get put into jail. I got a friend on the 24th of February. He fled to Turkey with his wife and child, left his whole business. He left it and went away. He couldn't take it. But this war is special. If As long as Putin's alive, he's going to take it. This could last years. But it's so unique that all it takes is something to happen inside Russia for everything to change. Elite businessmen who I've known for 30 years of my life, who have, like one of my friends, believe it or not, called me on the second day of the war, is like, why aren't you giving up? You're ruining my business. And of course, you can imagine what I said to him on the phone, but uh, that's the point of view of the Russians. They yeah. really believe they're Nazis. I mean. Look at me. Am I white? Am I? Do I have a, a perfect Nazi look? It doesn't fit. I've been living and moving around this country since 1997. There are no Nazis. It's not true. It's, it's all just fake. And uh, I find it strange in this century that we're living in now that the Russians even believe the crap they see on TV. It's amazing. Nitesh has now been a victim of two wars, almost 30 years apart. He tells Ketki what the first one taught him and how he's coping with everything he's been through. He also talks about how he sees this playing out and when he thinks he'll be with his family again. So, um, you've been the victim of war before, though you didn't see it. Um, how did that impact your life? It's sad when you lose your personal things. In, yeah. in life, you realize money is nothing. In, in life, you realize that uh, material things and money is nothing. It's just your personal stuff. I was a kid. I think I was 16, 17 years old when the war started in Kuwait. And I was on holiday in Mumbai. And, and they said the war started and we're not going back. And I haven't been back since to Kuwait even once. I, I always thought about it, but I just don't want to. You know, I had my own room in Kuwait. I had my, my walls were all pasted with, you know, cars and bikes and, and, yeah. and muscle mags. 
it's worth nothing. There's no value to it. It's just paper and, you know, stuff that you grew up with and you want to keep that. And that's what I, I miss the most of my life, my bicycle. I had three bicycles in Kuwait. It's just the, the sentimental value. And that's why when, when I came back to Kiev, the first thing I did when I got back home was I, I ran into the garage to see my, when my, my eldest son turned 18, I bought him a car for his yeah. birthday. And I wanted to see that car intact. I didn't care if the house was in ruins. I didn't care if the whole city was blown up. I just wanted to see his car was not scratched. And the, I got in, I, it was there. It was, it was beautiful, it was perfect. Nothing was damaged. It was, it's not a fancy car, it's just a normal you know, Fiat, but it, it had sentimental value for me. How's your family doing? They're happy, they're yeah. happy. I talk to my kids every day, every single day. I, you know, my, my, my second son, he's, he's, a, he's a drifter. Drifting is a form of racing. Right. Uh, he's a drifter. I, I, I'm building his car right now, actually. I haven't stopped anything because I believe that if, if we stop living, Putin wins the war. I haven't stopped living. I'm building my race bikes. I'm building my race cars. I've got my mechanics working on everything, and I refuse to stop because the moment we stop and start running, then he's won the war. Do you have conversations with them about returning? Do they ask when they can come back, and what do you say? They ask me every day. I'm sometimes hard on them just to try and you know make sense of all of this, but I, I, I keep saying August, September, something like that. And, and, you know, I, I encourage them. They, I mean, normally when you go on holiday, you, we go to Turkey for a week or two weeks. Now they've been there for two months and they, they're living 100 meters away from the beach. I said, go, go out every day. This is good for you. They miss home. They, everybody misses home. But uh, I think it's safest for them there. And the way things are going now, is, you know, right now the situation in Ukraine is very bad. Uh, things are going from bad to worse every day. And if it goes on like this, they won't come back for the next year, maybe. How are you coping with all of this, particularly with your family not there and there being kind of uncertainty about the future? And how are you doing? I take it day to day. I'm a very strong person. I'm very, I'm mentally very strong. Uh, I do break into tears. I can cry in the nights missing my kids, but uh, I think there will come a day when I will need to take a week and you know probably <laughs> try my brains out. I've seen a lot, but I know we will get through this. And, and this country needs us to be strong. And that's what will get us through. But I, I'm waiting for that day when, when we win the war. And I'm going to probably take a week and take myself a roll of uh, tissue paper and, and go cry so, so a little bit. Are you still steadfast that you're not leaving? I will not leave this country. I, I will not. I I believe that if I have to, I, I can't pick up a gun because I'm I, I can't. I'll, I'll get shot in five minutes. You know, so like, <laughs> but yeah. but I can. I'm good for this country. I, I can handle everything else that goes with not killing people. But I can do everything else. I, I will not leave this country. I will not go anywhere. Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunay Marathe and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TUI+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. 
For any news tips, email us at tuipodcast at timesinternet.in.